The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Sporkbox. Here are your headlines today. A positive surprise from China where exports and imports fall much less than expected in March, despite the impact of shutdowns helping lift Asian stock markets. The Dow falls for the first time in three sessions, dragged by Caterpillar, but an analyst upgrade boosts Netflix stock, helping the tech-heavy Nasdaq outperform. U.S. bank stocks mark their first negative session in five days as J.P. Morgan prepares to get earnings season underway with investors anxious to understand the impact of the virus. Cases in the UK top 90,000 with the death toll above 11,000 amid warnings the UK could become the worst hit country in Europe. But that said, France, Spain and Germany all start outlining their lockdown exit strategies. With numbers down, the numbers of new infections uh, per day in the, in the past weeks with all the measures that we have taken, we are thinking about step by step, that is important, step by step going back to a new normal. Chinese markets are ticking higher after exports fell 6.6% in March, which is not as much as economists expected. The latest figures also mark a significant improvement to the steep decline seen at the start of the year. This is China looks to rebound from the economic fallout from coronavirus. Let's get out to Emily for more. Emily, we've weathered some very weak trade numbers over the last 12 months or so, first with the trade war, but now with the pandemic that has swept first across China, now to other countries across the rest of the world. These numbers could have been much, much worse than what we saw today. Yeah, that's right, Karen. Uh, some upside surprise uh, for these uh, latest uh, trade figures to come out from China. This is for the month of March. Uh, but what's not represented here is what we could see coming through in the second quarter of this year. A lot uh, going around in the world. Uh, the big trading partners like the United States as well as the EU will be in focus as uh, we could see companies and countries slashing orders for Chinese goods. Getting straight to the numbers, exports for the month of March down 6.6%. Uh, that is uh, making back a lot of lost ground after a 17.2% decline in the first two months of this year. Imports were down 0.9%, uh, improving from the 4% decline that we had in the beginning of the year. Uh, that resulted in a surplus of $19.9 billion. Uh, the forecast was for a surplus of $21 billion. We did get some commentary coming out from the Customs Bureau saying that there are signs of recovery for foreign trade in January to fe February. Uh, the economy faces mounting downward pressure and uncertainty on the rise, but foreign trade is encountering bigger difficulties, but foreign trade also says is resilient. This is how the market is shaping up. Uh, the Shanghai Composite to better for 1%. We've got the Shenzhen Composite up 1.5%. The CSI 300 up 1.25%. We also want to mention Hong Kong, which plays catch-up today after the market was closed both Friday and Monday. Uh, so making back some uh, lost time, we are up three quarters of 1%, close to 200 points at 24,492. It is a big week when it comes to Chinese data. We'll get to the trade numbers today as we just ran you through 
through it, culminating in Q1 GDP as well as uh, monthly activity indicators on Friday. There has been chatter about a recession. We got brokerages at Nomura and ANZ saying that Q2 GDP could fall below uh, zero, and that's after a 6% contraction in the first quarter of this year. So lots of data that we're going to be tracking from China this week, and this is how it's playing out in the markets. Karen, it's back to you. Emily, thank you very much, and uh, happy belated, uh, happy Easter to you as well. Uh, Let's take a look at some of the market action, because those Asian numbers today from China, very positive for the region, as you can see, the green splashing up across the boards. In contrast to Wall Street, I want to show you that U.S. action, because we had a very strong trading pattern last week. Investors very much pushing the markets higher, the best trading week for the Dow in about 46 years, right on the eve of earnings season. But the gains were not sustained in the Monday session. Traders returning to work, and you can see shedding 320-odd points, or 1.4% for the Dow. And some of the other markets, too, and you can see on the S&P 500 displaying some of that weakness as well, falling 1%. And you've got the NASDAQ in the opposite direction, bouncing on some of those big tech stocks that drove the market. It was actually really curious. I want to show you this number, 2761 on the S&P 500. There was a report out from Goldman Sachs suggesting that we may, may, may not make some fresh lows now. There'd been a thought process out there that we had touched some of the lows, had rallied off the base, and that we might retest some of those lows on the back of earnings season. Goldman Sachs now saying, as you look at what we were seeing, all that policy action, some of that downside of 2,000 points that it was anticipating may not materialise now. So that is just worth noting, some of that positivity. But I want to take you to some of the big movers for the markets in terms of stocks. And you see that green on the boards for the likes of NASDAQ. Well, it was Amazon, one of the big drivers behind that rally again of 6.1% company adding new workers as it tries to manage all of the extra demand it is uh, dealing with. Netflix strong as well. Some of the analysts are pouring back over these stock prices and seeing what we're likely to witness on the earnings, the revenue front. Netflix got a ticket of approval from Canaccord at Genuity. That stock rallying 7%. And you can see Caterpillar, somewhat a bellwether for the uh, international stocks. Some of the uh, demand that uh, we are witnessing, dis- the demand destruction in both the oil and mining sector, that's playing on Caterpillar and that stock down 8.7%. Let's bring in Hugh Gimba, global market strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management. Steve also joins us and Jeff working from home today. Let me get to you first up, Hugh. What we are seeing on markets now, a little bit of choppy action on Wall Street, but investors are eyeing that infection rate. Also the manoeuvres by some of the European countries to return to some form of normality at this point. Still a long way off, but opening up some businesses, some key areas. What do you make of what we're now witnessing on the markets in terms of what is priced in? Good morning. So I think investors are really trying to extrapolate this peak in infection rates um, and translate that into the point at which the global economy can return to some form of normal. Um, And in terms of what's priced in, Clearly, it's difficult to put exact numbers on that. But my sense is that um, investors are assuming when you look at things like uh, quarterly GDP forecasts, for example, that there is going to be a relatively sharp rebound. Uh, And that's what's making me slightly concerned about the current market optimism, because when you put together all of the different options that governments have to reopen their economies over the coming months, I'm really struggling to get to a point where you can allow Uh, really a a surge back in demand and a really sharp rebound from the consumer. Um, So I do think that markets are pricing a relatively optimistic state of the world for the coming months. 
I want to get to the, the difference in how economies are treating coronavirus and the sort of measures that have been brought to the table so far, because I know you've been scrutinising Germany versus the UK. We heard from the Chancellor here at the weekend that the economy could shrink up to 30% in the first quarter. What do you make of the size of the stimulus packages in both countries and also the execution? So from my view, the, the willingness of governments to spend is no longer in doubt. We've heard from all around the world that governments are willing to pretty much write blank checks to try and deal with the economic hit from this issue. So the focus now really does shift in terms of um, how effectively and quickly governments are able to implement their policies. And so I think the UK and Germany is an interesting example because both have shifted towards this um, subsidy for workers' wages, exactly the right type of policy, in my view, to try and keep that link between workers and their employers so that when the rebound in activity does come, whenever that may be over the next few months, um, then you still have a, a solid labour market to work off. But we are seeing some differences in the pace at which um, that cash is reaching um, the end employer because the well-established system in Germany, the Kurzarbeit system, seems to be being much more effective in terms of actually getting cash into the bank accounts of the corporates that need it, whereas the UK system is the right policy but does seem to be working quite a lot more slowly given that they're setting this up for the first time. Hugh, I saw a tweet uh, from one economist the other day that said uh, the economies around the world are tanking because people are now buying what they need to rather than what they want. Uh, and I know that was slightly simplistic, but actually when we do get a degree of normality in a post-coronavirus era, are consumers going to be the same? And if they're not going to be the same, and if they are going to actually be more sensible with their household savings, is that going to be incredibly difficult uh, for the economies and the underlying companies to recover? I'm thinking about automakers, I'm thinking about transportation companies, is, uh, I'm thinking about anyone doing anything discretionary. I just can't see why consumer-focused nations and individuals will ever have the same low level of savings again, short, certainly for the short term. I agree for the short term. I, I think what will be interesting is how that um, consumer progress differs around the world. Because from the signs that we're seeing in China so far, really the first mover clearly, um, even though consumers are being allowed to behave in a much more normal fashion, um, there is still quite a, a tight lid on that activity. And we're still seeing some reluctance from consumers on the ground to return to a more normal way of life. For me, one of the big question marks around this is how, for example, the European consumer is going to differ from um, Asian consumers in the way that they return to normality and whether that pace is going to be different. I do think that for um, the discretionary spending, particularly on travel, is likely where you're going to see a more sustained hit. But I think that you could see some quite different dynamics once we do see European consumers coming back online. Hugh, I want to circle back to the issue of equities, if I might, for just a moment here, because it does seem to me that our investor audience will largely be asking themselves as they look at this huge stimulus and they look at the performance that we've seen in European and US equities, what we're four week highs here now for markets in Europe, that they'll be inclined to chase this rally. And I know you've expressed some scepticism here, but we're already seeing banks like Goldman Sachs beginning to call the bottom. As we see Q1 numbers begin to be revealed by the corporates, what is the appropriate strategy when you think about seeding money back into the market if you are inclined to play at these levels? 
So in my view, if you're looking to feed money back into the market, the focus absolutely has to be on quality. Uh, and by that, I'm talking about strong balance sheets, um, high levels of free cash flow, because really this is a corporate balance sheet stress test. It's going to work out the companies who have the financial flexibility to deal with this hit to activity and come out the other side the strongest. Whereas if you've gone into this situation already highly leveraged, then the extra backing for government loans, for example, or government backing for loans that we've seen is not really going to help you because it's not going to um, really entice you to take on even more debt. So it's going to differentiate for those companies that are having liquidity problems at the moment versus solvency problems. And then a very, very careful analysis of balance sheets uh, becomes the most important factor within equities. And let me ask you about fixed income, because we saw that extraordinary program from the Federal Reserve with all the acronyms to protect uh, mortgage businesses, small companies, to protect uh, companies uh, who want security on their credit lines. Just a phenomenal package. And we've seen something somewhat smaller out of Europe, but it's there nonetheless. In terms of where you sit then on the risk radar for bonds at this point, do you go back into high yield? Do you dip your toe into some of the riskier credits here? Because it does feel as though the bat that the Federal Reserve is is willing pretty much to uh, back you up on any credit. So I think the move from the Fed is a real game changer. Um, they have acted with unprecedented speed and in an unprecedented magnitude. And so it does make me more comfortable in starting to work through the credit market. But I personally want to be sticking quite closely at the moment um, to that sort of umbrella of central bank support. Um, and for me, the high yield market still remains in question because I don't think it is clear yet how willing the Fed really are to support those companies who are actually facing um, solvency issues. So uh, Jerome Powell was very clear in his uh, press conference last week. He was speaking about the Fed doing lending, not spending. And that lending is going to enable you to work through those corporates who are facing that short-term hit. But I would still expect further downgrades and defaults to come in the high-yield sector. And until I had more information about the willingness of the Federal Reserve to buy high-yield ETFs in size, and that size, I think, is the remaining question mark at this point, I'm still not particularly comfortable in looking at high-yield, certainly on an index-wide basis. Hugh, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us today on Scorebox. Hugh Gimber joined us as Global Market Strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management. We're going to take a very short break here on Scorebox, but when we come back, we'll look at the situation in the United Kingdom as the death toll rises by another 717 overnight to 11,329. But does the UK, in common with other European countries, have an exit strategy from the lockdown? We'll discuss after a short break on Scorebox. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse.
Over 2 million people have now been diagnosed with COVID-19 worldwide after cases doubled across the globe during the last two weeks alone. The US and Europe remain the epicentre. However, there has been a rise in imported cases in mainland China to the highest level in five weeks. In America, there are over 700,000 confirmed cases with more than 10,000 fatalities in New York alone. Well, President Trump says a plan to start easing restrictions across the country is coming soon. At his daily press event, uh, his briefing, he emphasised how the lockdown has helped to curb the spread of the virus, which has claimed over 22,000 lives in the US. Separately, a number of states have announced their own plans to reopen their economies. But President Trump made his views clear when asked whether it would be individual states or the federal government that made a final call. The president of the United States calls the shots. If we weren't here for the states, you would have had a problem in this country like you've never seen before. We were here to back them up and we back it. We've more than backed them up. We did a job that nobody ever thought was possible. The number of fatalities from COVID-19 in the UK has risen above 11,000. The country's chief scientific advisor has warned the death toll will continue to rise this week before plateauing. Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab has signalled the lockdown will continue, ruling out an imminent change to restrictions. Well, let's get back up to Steve. He is outside the Nightingale Hospital in London, in case you haven't picked his location just yet. Steve, uh, there's much talk around some of the other European states about lifting the restrictions, slowly returning key workers and industries back to uh, the front line. What do you make of the timing here and what we're hearing from Downing Street so far? Yeah, very good morning to you, Karen. Yeah, well, look, I mean, our death toll is still absolutely horrendous on a daily basis in the UK, although it has come down for three straight days. But still, at 717 people dying uh, with coronavirus overnight to a total of 11,329. It seems absolutely right that the government uh, is not talking about a premature lifting uh, of the restrictions and the lockdown at the moment, especially while public opinion is still very much of the mind uh, that actually they want to support the measures uh, outlined to shield the NHS, as outlined indeed by the Prime Minister this weekend in a very emotional video that he posted uh, on his return to uh, a degree of health, one should say as well, uh, and to try and see off the pandemic before one thinks about the economic ramifications. Of course, you mentioned earlier on uh, with our guest that uh, Rishi Sunak has apparently talked about a 30% hit to GDP in the current quarter. So there are different constituencies within the cabinet, within government, within society, who are looking at the economic ramifications uh, and indeed the uh, health ramifications but it seems the latter are still to the fore at the moment. But Dominic Raab, still de facto leader of the country at the moment, as the Prime Minister continues his convalescence from what was, quite frankly, a very dangerous week for the UK Prime Minister. Uh, he was incredibly worried about his own mortality, as we saw from that video as well. Uh, but Dominic Raab seems adamant at the moment that conditions are, are not right to start lifting restrictions. Let's listen in to the UK Foreign Secretary. We're still not past the peak of this virus. So please, continue to follow the advice now more than ever to stay home, save lives and protect our NHS. This week, SAGE will review the evidence of the effectiveness of the social distancing measures that we've taken and we will consider their evidence as their assessment based on the evidence at that point. I should say we don't expect to make any changes to the measures currently in place at that point and we won't until we're confident, as confident as we realistically can be, that any such changes can be safely made. 
That was the UK Foreign Secretary. Other members of the government have also been uh, on the airwaves over the weekend. We heard from Rishi Sunak, as you said there as well, also talking about the Treasury having released around about £14 billion uh, to public services. The Business Minister, Alok Sharma, uh, talking about 4,200 small and medium-sized businesses having received government interruption loans, but that is a drop in the ocean compared with the 300,000-plus uh, SMEs who have applied uh, for some form of support as well. And uh, Matt Hancock as well, having continuing disputes with the medical profession about the availability of PPE, equipment shortages more generally, and of course the amount of testing going on. Karen, back to you. Thank you very much. The French President Emmanuel Macron has announced the country will remain in lockdown until at least the 11th of May. That's when schools will slowly begin to reopen. Macron added that anyone with symptoms will be able to get tested by then and masks will be readily available. However, the French leader admitted that the country had not been sufficiently prepared to handle the crisis. He said progress has been made, but the battle is not yet won. There are hopeful signs, but nothing can be taken for granted. In the east, as in the Ile-de-France region, hospital services are overwhelmed. On the French mainland and in France's overseas territories, the system is under tension and the epidemic is not yet under control. We must therefore continue our efforts and continue to apply the rules. The more they are respected, the more lives will be saved. That's why the strictest confinement must be continued until May 11th. German Health Minister Jens Spahn has told CNBC Berlin will weigh the country's health situation with its economic priorities in deciding when to reopen the country's businesses and industries. We have managed through it uh, very well, um, but now we need to find the right balance. It's not, I would say it's not uh, the health of people versus the economy because they are very much uh, interlinked. Uh, you need a strong economy for, to have a well-equipped uh, health system, for example, or unemployment recession is harmful for the mental and physical health of people too. So we, what we need to find is the right balance. And now with numbers down, the numbers of new infections uh, per day in the, in the past weeks with all the measures that we have taken, we are thinking about step by step, that is important, step by step going back to a new normal. Speaking to Wilfred Frost on US closing bells, Spahn also admitted the European Union initially struggled to coordinate its response to the virus outbreak, but he insisted the rescue package agreed last week showed the bloc remained united. It's too often in a crisis at the very beginning, the European Union seems to be very disorganized. But I would say now uh, we have uh, pulled the, the ends together and we are standing strong in this. We are helping each other. For example, Germany is taking patients from other countries here to Germany to treat them in our hospitals, from, from Spain or France or Italy. Uh, and then there is, as you just mentioned, of course, the economic uh, dimensions. Uh, with this 500 billion euro package that was negotiated by the European financial ministers uh, in the past days, I would say we have a good base uh, to help to support those who need economic support in this crisis. The European Commission will next week unveil a plan for EU members to coordinate their exit from lockdowns. That's according to the Financial Times. Let's get to Sylvia for more. Sylvia, there was much griping about the, the lack of coordination. It took so long for a solidarity fund for the member states to tap, but also no suggestion of corona bonds at this stage to try and support businesses around European countries on the back of uh, what may play out down the track. What do you make of a coordinated response? How difficult will this be to achieve? 
Well, there are different uh, things that uh, the member states are focused on at the, at the moment. So the first of them being, of course, combating this health crisis. And then on the second stage is really dealing with the economic consequences. And so in this context of the economic pressure that we're seeing across Europe, some countries are already lifting some uh, some of the measures that they introduced in this uh, lockdown mode, including Austria and Denmark, as well as France and Spain. But the European Commission wants them to coordinate their responses. They want the European Commission wants the member states to share with one another their deconfinement plans before they implement them. And this is as well uh, in order to show that the EU is working together in the fight against the virus. And so the advice that the European Commission is giving this week is in order to help the European countries to figure out the best approach uh, to slowly return to normality. And in this context, we also expect the Commission to tell member states that they should ease any lockdown measures at the internal borders of the EU first, and only at a second stage to reopen their external borders as well. And these suggestions, which are said to be announced at some point this week, come just a few days before another critical meeting before the heads of state. The EU leaders will reconvene again, again next week via video call. But I have to say that the tensions between North and South Europe continue. They have not disappeared in full, despite the agreement that we saw last week. So the Eurozone finance ministers reached an agreement over a new fiscal package, but the debate over joint EU debt issuance, as you mentioned, Karen, is not over. And actually, we saw the Portuguese prime minister questioning whether the Netherlands wants to be outside of the EU in an interview that he gave over the weekend. So you can see that there are some tensions among the countries that still and let's see when it comes to the uh, the response, when it comes to uh, the economic impact of the crisis, whether the member states will actually come together once again next week and announce new plans to increase their fiscal spending. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.